Well, this morning I am looking forward to sharing this message this morning. It is uh, our uh, Global Outreach Sunday, and as Pastor Marvin mentioned last week, we often encourage people on this Sunday to wear, and I see some of you wearing some of the clothes of your culture. Uh, some of you do it every Sunday anyways, um, but, uh, but this particular Sunday we ask uh, people to do that. Uh, I, this is not necessarily my culture, nationality. I'm Italian, as many of you know, but I don't have an Armani suit, so <laughs> some of my African brothers and sisters are uh, kind enough to outfit me with uh, some clothes from their culture, and I appreciate that. This morning, I want to talk to you about one of the core values we have here at Mount Hope. Every organization has core values, right? Some of them written, sometimes unwritten. Uh, the company you work for, if you work at a company, has core values. The nation that we are in uh, has core values. Every organization has values. Sometimes they're explicit and written, and sometimes they're not, right? Uh, you know, I think one of the core values we have here at Mount Hope that is not necessarily written is uh, somewhere along the line it was decided that every gathering at Mount Hope must be accompanied by coffee and food. And uh, somewhere that became a core value. And if there is no way to get coffee and food there, we cannot meet. Uh, and somewhere along the line, that became a core value. There are other things in our church that, think, that seem like core values. It seems like uh, some of you think that one of our core values is that one of our exterior doors must remain locked at all times. So that when you come up, at least one time, you will pull that locked door. We try not to do that, but that does seem to be a, a value sometimes. Some people think that uh, re before replacing the sanctuary lights, every bulb must be burnt out is a core value. We're working on that. We are working on that. It's a longer time. Uh, there we go. That is in process, and we're hopeful to change that core value quickly. Uh, but seriously, what are the core values we have at Mount Hope that I want to talk to you about this morning has to do with the gospel and has to do with getting the gospel out to all the world. Uh, in all honesty, the, one of the core values we embrace here, maybe above uh, any other, is that we have been given the call to get all the gospel out to all the world. And that means across the street, but it also means around the world. And uh, you don't have to be here real long to understand that that is something that is important to us. And this is one of my favorite Sundays of the year to be able to talk to you about that and specifically about reaching the unreached around the world. And we're going to talk more about that in a few minutes. What I want you to do at the beginning of this message, you were given two cards when you came in this morning, a large one and a smaller one. The large one is the communication card, which we give out every week. The smaller one was this uh, card. It says, my mission's faith promise so all can hear. I'm going to ask you to take that out at, uh, at this point. And if you don't have one, you can just lift your hand in the air and someone will bring you one um, and you can get one because I want you to have this in your hand and I want you to have this with you as we get into this morning's message talking about this core value. The smaller one is something we call a faith promise card. And as you have that in front of you, I'm asking you to take it out for a very specific reason because in a few minutes at the end of this message, I just want you to know where I'm going. And those of you that have been here at Mount Hope for a long time, you know where I'm going with this because we do this every year. We've done this every year that I can remember. Uh, and so you know where I'm going with this. But if you're new at Mount Hope, I want you to know where we're going with this card at the end of service. I'm going to invite you to complete this card. And it's about our mission's commitment to uh, over the next year and over the next 12 months. Months. And I just want you to have that in front of you because I want you to be thinking about, praying about, and even in the midst of the service, asking the Holy Spirit, and I'm trusting that the Holy Spirit will lead you and uh, speak to you about what he wants to do through us when it comes to global outreach over these next 12 months. When we talk about getting the gospel out, there's a part that's going. Somebody has to go. And uh, there may be those of you in these seats this morning who God has called you to go, or maybe you're in these seats this morning and God is going to call you to go. And if that's the case, we want to support you in that and be with you in that. Praying is a part everybody does. Everybody is a part of the, the praying for outreach and getting the gospel out. And then giving, I believe, is a part that everyone can be a part of as well. And it's an important component 
Um, the Apostle Paul talked about it when he said, how can they go if they have not been sent? We are a part, and all of us have a part uh, and a chance to be a part of the sending. So I want you to know that up front. There's no bait and switch. I don't want you to think I'm going through this message at the end and, and have this like emotional plea, and then at the end I'm like, all right, get out your wallets, right? No, this is where I'm going. And this is where we're going, and I want you to be thinking about that, praying about that, asking the Lord what he wants to do through you. Uh, there are three things I talk about at Mount Hope we, I will be unapologetic about asking for when it comes to our giving. One is the Lord's tithe. I believe the Bible teaches us to tithe, to give the first fruits of our giving to the Lord. The second is giving to global outreach and to missions. I believe every one of us needs to be a part of supporting getting the gospel out to all the world. And the third is vision. Uh, we will ask you to give to vision, whether it's building a family life center to help reach people in our community, whether it's uh, opening up a new campus uh, in a town down the road, we will ask you to give to vision, tithes and offerings, missions, and giving, and this morning is about that second one. If you're a guest here today, I'm glad you're here. You've come on a great Sunday, uh, but really, if you're a guest here today, this card's not necessarily for you, but I'm glad you're here to listen. Uh, if you're a guest here today who has another church home, then I would encourage you, after hearing this morning's message, if you're not involved in the missions giving at your current church home, then get involved with that. Get involved with whatever your current church is doing. Give and support missions at the church where you're a part. But if you're a guest here today and you don't know Jesus, this card is really not for you either because we believe that giving is an overflow of worship. And those of us that love the Lord, one of the ways we express our love is through our giving and through our worship. And so we're glad you're here to listen and I pray that the Lord speaks to you, and I pray that you will become a follower of Jesus. And when you do, that that gratitude and grace that you experience will overflow in a heart of giving uh, as well. So I want to talk to you this morning who are, those of you who are here, your followers of Christ, you call Mount Hope your home church. And I want to talk to you about this idea of giving. And I'll do it in three parts. I always say this message every year has a little something for everyone. Three parts of the message. If you are a didactic person who likes outlines, then the first part of the message is for you. So that's, that's yours. Settle in. If you're a data person and you like the numbers and you want that, the second part of the message is for you. So hang on to that second part of the message and we'll get there. If you're the story person and you need a story to support, to, to know why we're doing this, the third part of the message is for you. So hang on. Uh, we have a little something for everyone today, and I have a lot to say, so we're going to get right into it. And the first part uh, we're going to talk about, so we're going to do three things. going to talk about kind of why we do uh, missions, how we're doing, doing missions, and who missions is about. First part I'm going to do quickly, I break it up into three M's. So if you're taking notes, three M's. The three M's are this, the mission, the motivation, and the method. The mission, the motivation, and the method. The mission is to export the gospel so that people might hear and be saved. It's simple. All the gospel to all the world. Very simple. I won't spend a lot of time on this. Jesus said that his mission when he came to earth was to seek and to save the lost. He said it very simply, very succinctly. The Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. If that was his mission, as his followers, as his people, as the body of Christ, it's our mission. The followers have the same mission as the leader. And so if we're following Jesus and he, came, I, and he said, I came to seek and to save the lost, guess what? You are here to seek and to save the lost. This is our mission. Before he ascended into heaven, the last words he gave, he said, go and make disciples of all nations. Uh, in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, the words of Jesus, he says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. For what? What's the power for? So you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. That is the last command that Jesus gave. It has not been rescinded that I know of. Jesus still expects his followers to be taking the gospel to the ends of the earth. The reason you have been saved, I talked about it last week, is not to be a dam, but to be a culvert. Water flows through you. It doesn't stop with you. The Spirit is given to you to flow through you. The gospel is given to you to flow through you, not to stop with you. This mission is so important that it's even connected to Jesus' coming again and to the end of things on this earth where Jesus has said, it recorded in Matthew 24, 14, it says the words this, and this says this, and the gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world 
as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. The only place in Scripture that I know of that the words are said, and then the end will come. And it's about the gospel being preached to all the nations. The mission of the church of Jesus Christ is by all means possible and any means necessary in accordance with his will and character to take this gospel message and bring it to people who are not only physically dying but spiritually dying and sharing the hope of Jesus Christ with them. It's the last command that Jesus gave, and it's still our command. That is our mission. Let me talk to you about our motivation. Our motivation, the second point, our motivation. Our motivation is worship of God. Revelation 7, 9 through 10 gives us a glimpse into heaven. And here's what's going on in heaven. John, giving us a glimpse into heaven, says, After this, I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count, from every nation, tribe, people, and language, standing before the throne and in front of the Lamb. They were wearing white robes and holding palm branches in their hands. And they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Those who were saved from every tribe and nation brought worship to God. Our goal, the reason we do global outreach is because we believe that God deserves to be worshiped by every tribe, nation, and people group. We believe that there are the 6,000 people groups on planet Earth right now that don't know about Jesus ought to be giving worship unto God. And so uh, we believe our motivation is worship. Psalm 67, 1 through 5. Some of you may know this psalm. Psalm 67, uh, one, actually verses 1 through 3 say this. May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face shine upon us. Selah, which as far as we know is just a word for kind of pause. And isn't that a great place to pause? May God be gracious to us, bless us, and make his face to shine upon us. That's a wonderful prayer. I, you know, pray that every morning. Pray that every morning. God, would you be gracious to me? Would you make your face to shine upon me? Would you bless me? And that's a beautiful prayer and a beautiful place to, to, to pray over your life. But it doesn't end there. What's the reason for the blessing? May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face shine upon us. Selah that your ways may be known on earth, your salvation among all nations. May the peoples praise you, O God. May all the peoples praise you. The purpose of the blessing was so that God may receive more worship. God's people were blessed, and God blessed. He rose up his people so that there are peoples of the world that didn't know him might be blessed. Do you ever wonder why you are living in the richest nation that has ever walked planet Earth? It's true. There's no other nation that has been more wealthy, more influential than the nation you are living in right now. And some people, when they think about that, they like to look to the past. And they say, well, it's because we lived in such and such a way or we did this that God has blessed this nation. And perhaps, but that's not what I think the wisest way to look. I think the wisest way to look is to say, let's look at the future. Why has God blessed us in such a way? And according to Psalm 67, the reason we've been blessed is so that God can receive more worship, so that more worship can be given to God from the nations of the world. You are not blessed, so you can sit around saying, isn't it good to be blessed? We are blessed to be a blessing. We are blessed so that the blessings of God may flow through us. You have not been blessed to talk about how much you've been blessed. You've been blessed to be a blessing to others in order that more praise might come to our God. You've been given the greatest amount of influence and resources of any nation that's ever been on planet Earth. And if I look at the psalm, I have to say one of the reasons, and one of the reasons God does that is so that the end result might be that praise would be given to God. Our motivation is worship. Compassion for people is important. The eternal state of people apart from Jesus Christ should matter to us. But our ultimate motivation is worship. 
There is a hell. It's real. And people apart from faith in Christ spend eternity there apart from God. And that should motivate us. I heard Pastor David Platt recently in a sermon talk about the question of, well, what about the innocent person in Africa who's never had a chance to hear about Jesus? Are they really going to go to hell? And the way that Pastor David Platt answered this question, which I think often is on many of our minds, is no, absolutely not. That person will not go to hell. That person, in, in, that innocent person in Africa who's never heard about Jesus will absolutely go to heaven. Problem is that person does not exist. There is no innocent person in any tribe, in any nation on the earth. Because the Bible says we're all sinners. We all have sin that stains us. And the truth is, the problem is that that person doesn't exist. People have just enough knowledge of God many times to damn them to hell. What they need is the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Romans chapter 1 says they can, re- they can look around and see that there's a creator. They can look around and know that there's a creator. What they need is someone to tell them there's also a savior. And that's the job that we have been given. A.W. Tozer in his book, The Knowledge of the Holy, if you haven't read it, you should read it. One of the things he talks about in The Knowledge of the Holy is our motivation for um, going, our motivation in missions, and how sometimes we think that God is so dependent upon us to get his work done, and we make it about us and not about God. Tozer says this, I want to read it to you because I can't say it any better than Tozer. says, Almighty God, just because he is almighty, needs no support. The picture of a nervous, ingratiating God fawning over men to win their favor is not a pleasant one, yet if we look at the popular conception of God, that is precisely what we see. 20th century Christianity has put God on charity. So lofty is our opinion of ourselves that we find it quite easy, not to say enjoyable, to believe that we are necessary to God. But the truth is that God is not greater for our being, nor would he be less if we did not exist. That we do exist is altogether of God's free determination, not by our desert, nor by, but nor by divine necessity. And then he goes on to say this. Too many missionary appeal, too many missionary appeals are based upon this fancied frustration of Almighty God. An effective speaker can easily excite pity in his hearers, not only for the heathen, but for the God who has tried so hard and so long to save them and failed for want of your support. I fear that thousands of young persons enter Christian service from no higher motive than to help deliver God from the embarrassing situation his love has gotten them into and his limited abilities as seemed unable to get him out of. Add to this the certain degree of commendable idealism and a fair amount of compassion for the underprivileged, and you have the true drive behind much of Christian activity today. Our motivation is not strictly compassion for people who don't know God. Our motivation is not because God needs us to do it and he couldn't get it accomplished without us. Our motivation is because God is worthy of worship should be nothing else that motivates our going. Yes, we should have compassion for people, but I'm not here to guilt you into giving because people don't know Jesus and are going to hell. That should break our hearts. But our ultimate motivation is that they would come to knowledge of God and bring more worship and glory to God, that they would be restored into right relationship with him. Our mission, our motivation, finally, thirdly, our method Our method is bringing the gospel to the unreached people in the world. There are a lot of different strategies and philosophies for missions. You go to different churches, you'll find as many different churches as different strategies for missions. Some some churches are more into short-term missions. Some are into strictly compassion ministries. Some will give to anyone going anywhere who asks. Some will invest, invest a little in a lot of areas. Our method here at Mount Hope is to strategically invest the majority of our funds in people who are bringing the gospel to the most unreached people on earth. That's it. We have harped on this for more than a decade. 
more and more every year I talk about this. We were not the first to have this philosophy, but more and more people are realizing the discrepancy of support in relation to the magnitude of need in unreached people groups. There are more than 6,000 unreached people groups in the world today, 2 billion people who are unreached by the gospel. Let me explain that a little bit. I mentioned it last week. Unreached does not mean unconverted and is not unchurched. There's a difference. A lot of surveys you may have heard lately will say we live in one of the most unchurched areas of the United States. Unchurched is different than unreached. You might sit here and you say, look, I got unreached people in my neighborhood. I got unreached people in my office. I have unreached people in my school. No, you don't. You don't. Because they are in your school and they are in your office and they are in your neighborhood. And you know how I know they're reached? Because you're there. And if you are there, the gospel has reached them. Now, whether you or I have expressed that in a way that they can understand it is another conversation and is last week's sermon. That's the unchurched. We're not talking about the unchurched. The unchurched matter to God. The unconverted matter to God. No doubt about that. But then there is this other group who are unreached. And unreached means this person, these people are born, they live, and they die and never have the opportunity to hear that there is a God who loves them and a Savior who died for them. Not that they chose not to listen, not that they didn't read the book, not that they didn't go to the website. It's not there. No one has gone to them yet. No one has brought, it's not possible apart from a missionary going to them or God divinely revealing it to them, there is no access to the gospel. This is an unreached people group. There are 6,000 of them on the earth. There are 2 billion people in the situation that I just laid out for you. And so we've talked about It's certainly our obligation to reach people in our neighborhoods, across the street, in your office. We need to share Jesus with them. But who will make sure that the gospel goes to these places where it is not? How is it acceptable today in our day of amazing technology and connectivity that there are people living on our planet who don't have the ability to hear about Jesus? How is it that Mark Zuckerberg is reaching them with Facebook And Coke is reaching them with soft drinks, but we have not yet reached them with the gospel. How is it that Facebook can talk about all the billions of people that are coming on board, the cell phone towers that are being built all around the continents of of Africa and, and, and places where the gospel is not, and they're getting phones and they're getting access to this technology, but they haven't heard about Jesus. Even with the access to technology, the gospel's not in their language. When will it become unacceptable to the church that people die without having the opportunity to hear about salvation through Jesus? The task might seem huge. You might say 2 billion people, 6,000 people groups. How can it possibly come to be? Well, imagine how the task seemed to a group of 12 individuals or 120 on the day of Pentecost when the task was given to them. You must preach this gospel in the entire earth, in the entire world. Imagine how it must have seemed to them that the gospel would go out to the entire known world then. In our day and age, is it really that difficult? In our day of connectivity and technology, and could it be that God has allowed all of this to happen so that his prophecy and promise could be fulfilled, that the gospel would go out to all the world and all people groups and get to every nation on earth. They are unreached, but they are not unreachable. Paul in Romans 15, 20 says this, talks about going to unreached people groups. It has always been my ambition to preach the gospel where Christ was not known so that I would not be building on someone else's foundation. Rather, as it is written, those who are not told about him will see, and those who have not heard will understand. This is why I have often been hindered in coming 
to you. Paul is writing this letter to the Romans, and he's saying, look, I want to come. I want to come to Rome. I want to be there. I want to meet with you. I want to pray with you. I want to I help you. I want to bless you, but I can't. I want to go, but I can't. And why can't Paul go? He says, because there's still people here. There's still cities here who are unreached, and God has called me to complete the work, not of reaching every single individual, but of making sure every major city metropolis east of Rome had the gospel brought to it. And that was Paul's job. And he says, until that's done, I can't come, even though I want to. Reaching the unreached was important to Paul. It's still important to us. There was a time in history when there were no unreached people groups. It ended not long after Adam and Eve left the Garden of Eden. There will be once again a time when there will be no unreached people groups. The Bible says on that day when Jesus comes again and we're united with him, every tribe, tongue, and nation will be represented. In between that time is our time. And it's our time to get the message out to those where the gospel has not reached. And so that's why we do missions. That's why it's our method here at Mount Hope. Does that mean that Jesus could not come today because there are 6,000 unreached people groups and 2 billion people that haven't heard about it? Some people ask this question. If the gospel has to be preached to all these nations around the world and it has not yet been preached there, does that mean Jesus could not come today? David Platt, again, he uses a quote of George Ladd, which um, I cannot improve upon again, so I will share with you his words. He says, the subject of this chapter is when will the kingdom come? I am not setting any dates. I do not know when the end will come. And yet I do know this. When the church has finished its task of evangelizing the world, Christ will come again. The word says it. He did not come in A.D. 100 because the church had not evangelized the world. He did not return in A.D. 1000 because the church had not finished its task of worldwide evangelism. Is he coming soon? He is. If we, God's people, are obedient to the command of the Lord to take the gospel into all the world. How are we to know when the mission is completed, Lad says? How close are we to the accomplishment of the task? Which countries have been evangelized and which have not? How close are we to the end? Does this not lead to date setting? And Lad says this, I do not know. God alone knows the definition of terms. I cannot precisely define who all the nations are. Only God knows exactly the meaning of evangelize. He alone who has told us that this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in the whole world for a testimony unto all nations will know when that objective has been accomplished. But I do not need to know. I know only one thing. Christ has not yet returned. Therefore, the task is not yet done. When it is done, Christ will come. Our responsibility is not to insist on defining terms. Our task, our responsibility is to complete it. So long as Christ does not return, our work is undone. Let us get busy and complete the mission. I don't know. I don't know. We try to define all nations. We do our best. We try to define what reached or evangelized means, but to be honest, God only knows. We define a country like Yemen that has 8 million people in it and only a few hundred believers as unreached because it does not have enough people to reach its own people group and its own population. So we would say that that nation is unreached because the church itself, not hundreds of churches, just hundreds of believers in 8 million people. And so we would say that's an unreached people group. Do I know that God defines it the same way? I don't. So I don't know what God's definition of all nations and reached is. What I know is our job is to get the gospel to every people group on the earth. And when that's done, we're done. Here's the nice thing about a strategy for reaching unreached people groups. We never have to change our strategy. Because when it's done, it's done. And Jesus comes again. And missions is no longer necessary. That's our mission, our motivation, and our method. So how are we doing on mission? Let me jump to the second part of 
this message for a minute. How are we doing on mission? Let's take a look at the last 10 years, the difference in a decade. I just want you to, I'm going to go through these quickly, but just kind of show you where we are at Mount Hope and what has happened over the last 10 years. Uh, so first thing, number of faith promises made. That little card that's before you, this is households, number of households uh, that have made faith promise commitments uh, over the years. So in 2005, we were at 62 households making faith promises commitments. In 2007, we had a dip. It was at 46. And in 2015, last year, 95 uh, households or individuals made faith promise commitments. And why is that important? You can clap for that. Absolutely. Yeah. Here's why that's important. Because not everybody can give the same amount. There's no, they're, 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 I, that's, not, that's not the case. The, the part for me as a pastor is, will we be a church that has a heart for reaching the unreached? What you can give is not the same of what someone else can give. What you can give this year may be not the same of what you could give last year or what you'll be able to give next year. But what it says is we're on board. The more, uh, my goal is 100% of people participating. And you say, Pastor, that's crazy, 100% of people. Well, I don't know how I could as a pastor have any other goal. W would my goal be, oh, no, I, I, I wouldn't expect you to give to missions. And I, that, I don't know what kind of pastor I would be if that wasn't my goal, if I, if I didn't believe in this and hope everyone gets on board. Uh, where are we on percentage of commitments? Uh, percentage of commitments, participating households in 2005, 22%. People were participating and making commitments. Households, 19% in 2007. Last year, we were up to 44% of households making a commitment to missions. My goal, again, is 100%. 100% of followers of Jesus who attend Mount Hope. Now, that can't be 100% of the people at Mount Hope because I hope we have people here who are not yet followers of Jesus. I hope, you, I hope there are people in these seats today who are considering following Jesus but have not yet taken that step. That's part of what we're here for, uh, to get the message out to you and to share that message with you this morning. Uh, next slide talks about giving per adult. In 2005, the giving uh, per adult at Mount Hope was 200. This is to missions, $231. Last year, it was at $626. So praise the Lord for that as well. Total giving, 2005, $67,000 uh, given. 57000 went out to partners. So sometimes there's missions trips. Sometimes there's special gifts that go to other things. Um, and so there's, uh, there's a difference between total give, uh, the total given to missions and out to partners. Now that 57,000 is all faith promise money. That 67,000 uh, is additional monies that often come uh, from elsewhere, not necessarily faith promises. In 2015, 130,000 total went out in missions and 106,000 went out to our missions partners around the world. So we praise the Lord for that as well. In 10 years, the giving has increased there as well. Here's why we do it the way we do it. Uh, the statistics say that global church, when it comes to missions dollars, four cents of every dollar goes to unreached people groups. Sixteen cents of every dollar will go to formative nations. Those are nations that have some access to the gospel, but don't have a sustainable witness in the culture to grow an indigenous church and still need uh, to be reached. And then 80%, 80 cents of every dollar goes to nations and places that have established churches, indigenous churches already within them. Again, important work. Unconverted people are valuable to God. Unchurched people are valuable to God. We're not saying they're not. Please don't hear what I'm not saying. I'm not saying that the person in Dublin or Vatican City or another place on earth or Boston is not important to God and doesn't need to come to know him. What I'm saying is when I, we look at our strategy, the hardest places to reach are getting the least amount of resources. And so we try and, we try and change that at Mount Hope. So the Global Church allocates 4, 16, and 80. At Mount Hope, our targets are 45% of our uh, missions dollars will go to unreached, 35% will go to formative places, and 20% will go to places where there are established churches um, and uh, already existing an indigenous church. Now, there are some other things that play into that. If someone goes out from our church, uh, that ups them on our scale. No matter where they're going, uh, we're gonna, we want to support them, and there are other things that may come into play. But as a rule, this is where we try and allocate our dollars. So how are we doing is the question. Are we hitting our goals? 
so in 2007, we were at 23%, 42%, and 35%. 2015, last year, 50%, 50 cents of every missions dollar that came in went out to uh, missionaries and partners serving in unreached people groups around the world. 29%, 29 cents on every dollar that came in went out to the formative world, and 21% went to uh, people serving in places where the church is already established. So we've exceeded our goals in some of our categories uh, when it comes to the unreached, and, um, and that's uh, wonderful to be able to see that. So again, not that these other places and every person isn't important. Absolutely every person is important. Um, but somebody has to be able to kind of flip the script a little and say, um, we're going to give and prioritize uh, places that have the least amount of access to the gospel or they will never have access to the gospel. Uh, and so that's, uh, that's why we do it the way we do it. It's been great to have some of our global outreach partners here. We had Ed Nye a couple weeks ago. Uh, Chris and Cindy Stuckey are here with us. They are in serving in one of the unreached parts of the world. They'll be at our mission lunch afterwards. You heard from Jenny Falcon a couple weeks ago as well. Um, and I want to just give you an update on Jenny. She came uh, by uh, this week and, and uh, gave me a little bit of an update. She's going back to Swaziland on Tuesday. And when she was here a couple weeks ago, she shared about a need she had. She had a new need for a car. Uh, not only was her car old, she told me about the need for a car prior to her even hitting the cow. Um, the hitting the cow just really just really did it in that she needed a car. Um, but uh, so she hits the cow again. Who hasn't done that? But <laughs> so she needed a, she needed a car. She needed ten thousand uh, dollars for a car. Uh, she had $1,000 when she spoke to us a couple weeks ago. Since that time, she's gone, visited a couple places, uh, shared her story in a couple places, and $15,000 has been given towards her car in the last two weeks. Praise the Lord for that. In addition to that, she shared with me this uh, testimony unexpectedly. She went down to Nashville, shared it with some friends down there, some people down there. Uh, and they gave an additional $11,000 towards paying off her student loans so that Jenny could have that money uh, as well and have that burden off her. So praise the Lord for that provision for Jenny. And it's wonderful when we can be a part of those stories. When she came over here, I didn't know what we were going to be able to do. I just didn't want her going back to Swaziland worrying about where that car was going to come from. And God had a plan, and God uh, provided above and beyond her needs. So this morning, instead, uh, I, I don't have global outreach partners uh, for you to hear from this morning uh, in the service. Again, we'll hear from Chris and Cindy Stuckey at the lunch. But I do want you, as I close out this message very quickly and share the story part, I want you to hear from just a couple people who sit in the seats where you sit. And I want you to hear from a couple people who are sitting among you who have lives who have been touched by missionaries. And many of you, I could have asked many of you who are sitting here to share your story about your life and how it's been touched by missionaries in your life, but I have just asked a couple to share this morning, and I'm going to ask them to come forward so you can hear a little bit of how missionary touched their lives. One is Anne Alexis, and Anne, I'm going to ask you to come share, and the other is Roman and Maria uh, Mikhailov. I know I'm butchering that. Roman and Maria, come on up, and uh, I'm going to ask, would you welcome them as they come up to share? And I'm going to ask Anne to share a little of her story first. Good morning. Pastor Rick asked me this morning, are you going to be fine to speak? But he didn't tell me he, if... He will be that scary. <laughs> okay. I was born in Haiti, and I was born and raised Catholic. Can I put the mic a little closer? Sorry. You're good. Thank you. I was born and raised Catholic. As a little girl, I went to a Catholic all-girls school. I, I cannot say that I was unreached, but I heard about God every day. As Catholic, I get baptized. I did my first communion. 
I did what they call confirmation. I did all of that. But I never have a Bible. I will have like catechism book that I will read from. I will know like, I, I have some a, a book that I will tell my kids now that they don't know. That was on my book, like I had 45 books on my, uh, on, on the Old Testament. Uh, <clears throat> when I was there, the, the school on itself was the work of the Catholic uh, church as mis missionary because I was born on the northwest of Haiti that where I was born, it was like you can drive eight hours from Port-au-Prince. Uh, the people that worked at my school was uh, the sisters that mostly come from other, other country. But the thing that touched me the most, it's one day uh, the sister came to our class to say that we have a visitor and that visitor has a gift for us. As kids, you're all excited that you're gonna receive a gift. <clears throat> when I'm thinking today, I, I, I said to myself, maybe this man tricked those sisters because it was easy for them to get there. And not only they give us like a big can of powder milk on one hand, and that little New Testament on the other hand. I never had a Bible. I will have book that we borrow from the school every week, but I never had anything else. I get this little Bible this day, and I keep it, not because I was excited that I'm gonna read the Bible, because I know that I have my little book now that is the first one that has my name on it that I'm gonna put near the book that I borrow from school every day. I like to read, I can remember that. I read a lot. When I borrow my little book, I will read it on one day. After that, I will go to take the little New Testament to read. He was always there just to close the gap between the library day. But I remember as kids, I just read it, but going from middle school through high school, this is when it started to make a change in my life. I read this little book every day, every day, and I start questioning things that are, that is happening in my church and at home too. This little book, I told you, this is where I find like God can take care of his people. Even at, at, at this time when I was young, my family wasn't like a, a rich. We were on the, a, a, we were poor, yeah. A, so you have to pray, pray for everything. With this little book, I learned to pray for everything that I, that I need. And God take care of, mm. of me from that day until Amen. today. I, I always remember, I said, okay, I if I didn't have this little Bible, I wouldn't know like, how to live mm. from uh, uh, where I was mm. until now. This little book gives me hope every day. Mm -hmm. Sometimes I have needs as kids or as teenagers. I, I know that I have to pray. Mm -hmm. I have to pray, and I learned that from this little book. Amen. And Amen. I should maybe have it today, but for moving from place to place mm -hmm. <laughs> and moving here, I don't have it. Uh, it was the little New Testament. The, I, I can remember it was a navy, navy blue little mm. 
this summit. And I can say that this little book saved my life. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Thank you. And uh, the work of missionaries, bringing the Bible to people. So this is why we don't abandon the established world either, right? There's a difference, and people matter, and so this is important. But the work of missionaries may be tricking. I like that, tricking. The powdered milk and the Bible going in. And Anne and Jean and her family are here today worshiping the Lord. Their family and their legacy is changed because of the work of missionaries. Roman and Maria have a little bit of a different story. I think Roman's going to do most of the speaking, um, and she's going to share a little bit of their story of how missionaries touched their lives in different ways. Uh, my name is Roman. <clears throat> this is Maria, my wife. Uh, when Pastor Rick told us um, that we'll be speaking after him today, I figured I'd have about 40 minutes to get nervous and worked up about this. Uh, it worked like a charm. <clears throat> but um, I just wanted, we, we were asked to share how we became Christians and how we came to God. And um, I came to God when I was uh, on campus at Ohio State University. Go Bucks! I think they won last night. <laughs> um, and then Maria came to God when she was in St. Petersburg, Russia. Um, and both of us have come to Christ through mission teams. And uh, if you take anything from what I say today is that mission teams, they really work. And they really change lives of people and they, pe they bring people to God. I think without the mission teams, we would not be here. And uh, it's, it's very interesting to, uh, to speak to our son. And he came up to Maria a couple of days ago and he said, well, mom, what church did you go to? And Maria said, well, we didn't go to church. And she was, he was shocked. He was like, oh, my gosh. But it's so true. Uh, mission teams have changed our lives, and they have changed the lives of our children as well. Um, Maria, when, when Maria was in St. Petersburg back in 1992, when the, Soviet, you know, when the Soviet Union fell apart and when the wall came down, there was many, many mission teams who, have, who, who came and uh, really made a big difference. Um, her mission team was a collaboration, a joint collaboration of people from three different countries, from Canada, U.S., and Sweden. And um, they've reached out, and they, they actually had to get very creative in order to reach people. Uh, there was a lot of street performing. Um, there was a lot of um, just musical performances. But most, most, most importantly, these people, they come to communities and they just become your friends, they become your neighbors, and um, they just, they, they, they really, they really make the difference. Um, so those people, they, they made such a big sacrifice, and uh, I think it was definitely worth for us, and we thank them so much for that. Um, in, my, in my case, when I was at Ohio State, a small uh, campus team came from the University of Cincinnati as well. It was just a lot of young kids who just recently graduated and were looking for jobs. And uh, some, of the, some of the students transferred to Ohio State for just reason, for, for that reason to, to reach out and you know, help people to, be, to become Christians. And once again, it's, 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 it's challenging, but I also want to add that if any of you guys are thinking about doing it, it's a lot of fun too. I think you get to know so many different people. Mm. You, um, if, you know, if, if you're young, you'll be challenged. Mm. If you're not that young, you'll, you'll feel young for sure. <laughs> um, and uh, so once again, if you take anything from what I say today, mission teams are important. Mm. And they make a big difference. If, you know, if we, we may have different, different missions in our lives, but we, and we may not go. All of us may not go but we should definitely support in any way we can those people. Thank you, amen, amen. Thank you, Roman, thank you, Maria. Thank you, Roman. Thank you for sharing, Anne and Roman and Maria. And as you catch in Roman and Maria, different, two different mission strategies there, right? Uh, and, we, and we try and utilize both of them. One, with Maria, you know, once that wall came down in 89, and some of us remember that, you know, when that wall came down, and I remember the church, all the talk in the church, we've got to get missions teams into Russia, right? Because we don't know how long this window is going to be open for the gospel, and it may be that it's closing a lot 
now and, and getting tighter now than it was a, a number of years ago. Um, and so missions teams went to a place that was unreached, to a place when I remember going up as a kid, we talked about smuggling Bibles into Russia. And then that wall came down and things opened up a little more to get the word in there. And Maria is a result of the gospel going there. And Roman, different strategy, right? God sometimes will send people, and we talk about this in our area of Boston so much, that people will come from those groups to our shores whether it's through education, whether it's through their work, whether it's through immigration, whether it's through these days a refugee situation, that they come to our shores and we have the opportunity, the opportunity to reach them with the gospel. And so sometimes it's going and sometimes the strategy is them coming and we have the opportunity to a sudden a nation that is normally closed to the gospel to reach them with the gospel. And, uh, and so thank you for sharing. These, uh, these are encouraging. One last one I'll share uh, because he's not here to share it. A young man named Ting. You may not know Ting. Uh, B- Ting is attending our Belmont campus and has been attending there uh, for a little while since we opened. And he's actually helping uh, lead music, uh, helping serve on the music team there at Belmont. And, uh, and Ting has a story. Ting's from Singapore. And when he was in Singapore, he started attending an Australian missionary school started by a woman named Sophia Blackmore in 1887. The school remained, and that's where Ting committed his life to Jesus Christ through the influence of friends he met at school. Now he's helping lead worship for the past two weeks in our Belmont campus at Mount Hope. And this is what I want you to hear. Because someone supported Sophia Blackmore... In 1887, in the late 19th century, Ting follows Jesus. Because someone gave money to a missionary, this man, this young man is following Jesus. And for so many of us, that's our story. It may not be as direct as Roman and Maria as, as, or as Anne, but that's your story. Somewhere somebody went to your nation, to your country, to your people group. Somebody told somebody who told somebody who told somebody, and that somebody was sent by somebody. And this is how the gospel spreads. So we're going to close. Take out that card once again, and I'm going to ask our musicians to return. And I'm going to ask you just to consider, talking about, consider what the Lord is wanting to do through you. I am not asking you, and please, please don't hear me. I am not asking you what you can afford. I am not asking you to think about your budget and think about what's left. I, I'm not. I'm asking you honestly to ask, what does God want to do through you when it comes to global outreach this year? And that is not a question you answer in your own wisdom. That's an answer you receive from the Lord. And that's all I'm asking you to do, to pray about. If you will take the bold step of putting on the table before God a blank check, not before me, I'm just asking, when it comes to global outreach, and I'm not talking about just with money when I talk about that blank check. It's with our lives, right? Will we be willing when it comes to sharing the gospel throughout the world to say, God, I'm completely yours. And I'll tell you, the money one is the easiest one. That's the easiest one. Just come talk to Chris and Cindy Stuckey afterwards when they're at the lunch. Talk about what they've been through the last few years. The money's the easy one. But do you put a blank check on the table when it comes to reaching people for Jesus? Say, I'll go, I'll pray. I'll give, Lord, whatever you want. And I'm not asking you to make some crazy number on here so someone looks at it and say, wow, look at, look at that. No, no. This is what God wants to do through you. These are kept private. These commitments are between you and the Lord. Our missions team sees them, and that's it, just so they can, they can know how much is coming in. This is not something we will ask you for, that you will get no letter during this year saying, you know, what about your faith promise? This is between you and the Lord. Asking what the Lord wants to do through you. Our job is to reach people with the gospel, people who are near and far. 
We cannot make them believe that's not our job, but we are here to be witnesses to Jesus. And just imagine in heaven a person from a people group coming up to you that was never reached before. And through some of your efforts, their people group, their tribe learned about Jesus. That's what this is about. It's about an eternal investment. It's about treasure that's in heaven. We want the gospel to go places it isn't. And so you might ask, you know, does that mean I got to leave my job and, and you know, go to, uh, you know, an unreached people group tomorrow? Only if God's asking you to. If God's asking you to, then you go. For most of us, it's going to mean staying in your job, staying in the place where God has you, and leveraging your job for God's kingdom. God gave you an opportunity to make money, make tons of money, and leverage it for God's kingdom. God gave you the opportunity to travel the world for your job, travel the world, and leverage that for God's kingdom wherever you go. God gives you the opportunity to make business contacts, make those contacts and leverage it for the kingdom of God wherever he has placed you. What are you going to trust God to do through you this year? God doesn't need your money. He doesn't. So don't give because you think God needs it. Give out of gratitude. Give out of what he's done for you. But we invest because it's our worship to him. So just consider some of these questions that I was asking myself this week. How much is it worth? How much is a soul worth? What's more important than this? What's less important than this that I'm currently giving my money to? How would I answer the missionary face-to-face -face that wants to go but doesn't have the funds? Last year, did you spend more money in credit card interest than you gave to global outreach? Did you give more money to Visa or American Express last year than you gave to spread the gospel throughout the world? Did you spend more money on Starbucks last year than you invested in global outreach? Did you spend more money on apps for your phone than you invested in global outreach? Did you spend more on your vacation than you did on spreading the gospel around the world? Did you spend more on going out to eat than you did in investing in the gospel? They're just questions. You may think it's not a valid question. That's fine. I'm just asking them. Just asking. What's more important than this? What's less important that I'm giving my money to? Paul in Romans 15, 20 said he could not go to Rome even though he wanted to because he was constrained to reach the unreached. What is God wanting to do through you? As Jason and the team lead us, I'm going to invite you to, as the Holy Spirit and God leads you, I'm going to pray for you, and then I'm going to ask you to complete this card as God leads. Pastor Marvin's going to, we're going to have a basket up on the altar here. We'll lay our commitments right on the altar, offering them to God. There should be pens in the seats in front of you if, if you need one. And I'm asking you to complete this. Tear off one side for you and the other side, the larger side if you'll place it in the basket. I will ask you, if you've been given regularly and you're like, well, I'm just gonna keep giving what I've been giving, we need to know that. We don't assume that. And our global outreach team makes its decisions. There are people waiting. There are people waiting. And our answer to them is, we can tell you after October. That's that, for the last few months or so, when missionaries have come, and they've come, believe me, the calls come, and when the ones come that say, I'm going to some of the hardest places to reach, our answer for the last six months really has been, well, we can tell you in October because we've already committed everything that's coming in. In fact, we've committed more than that's coming in. And so, and so there are people on the list who are waiting for funds, waiting to get to the field. And so what you put on this card, please don't think it doesn't make a difference. It makes a difference. And what we, the responses we're able to give to these men and women who want to go depend a lot on the numbers on this card. And that's why I am unapologetic about this time and this Sunday and about asking us to give.
Father, we thank you for the privilege of participating in your work around the world. Lord, to be honest, I have no idea why you even give us the privilege of doing it. I have no idea why you entrust such an important work to such fallen and finite and fallible people. And yet you have. And yet you've entrusted not only this work to us, you said the coming of my son and the end of this time on this earth is so tied to this work and to this mission. And you've entrusted it to your church. And so, Lord, we come to you this morning. And as I pray for these men and women, and I pray for myself as we're praying about what you want to do through us, Lord, you alone know the next 12 months. You alone know when we have been acting Lord, too cautiously, and you want to do even more through us, and you want us to act on faith. You alone know what you are able to do through us when we trust you and believe. Lord, you alone know where our monies have gone to lesser things. And so we come to you this morning, and I ask you to speak to every one of these men and women here. Show us what you can do through us as individuals and as a church. And I do long for that day when missions is no longer necessary and we're at that place and there are people from every tribe and every nation. And we will see we gave to help those people from that island nation, from that tribe, that they might hear about a Savior that loves them. Lead us today, we pray. We make this our offering in worship to you. In Jesus' name, amen.